Not everyone knows this, but the Pope is quite a car buff. He, described, he subscribes to several car magazines and keeps up with new models that come out every year. So when the limo came to pick him up at the airport, it's no wonder that he looked it over and said to the driver, Wow, this is a model with a 400 cubic inch turbocharged engine. Do you mind if I drive? I just have to check this out. So the driver nodded and got into the back seat while the Pope took the wheel. As soon as they passed the airport gate, the Pope got on the gas and soon was going 90 miles an hour and still accelerating when he passed a cop who turned on the lights and the siren and pulled the Pope over. The cop was a good Catholic. He walked up to the window and got the shock of his life. Your holiness, he gasped. Ah, excuse me a moment. And he got on the radio to call his dispatcher. I've pulled over somebody really big, he said. What do I do now? You mean some senator? No, bigger than that. The governor? No, no, bigger. You haven't pulled over the president, have you? No, somebody really, really big. Okay, who is it then? Well, I really don't know, but you should see who he's got for a driver. (laughs) The topic of power and authority is one that many of us have wrestled with. It's not one that I pretend to have the answers. I can't tell you exactly how a new paradigm of power will come, or what it will look like exactly, I have some ideas which I have found useful. And more importantly, I hope to encourage curiosity, wondering, and a hunger for growth on this subject. A friend emailed me the following story. A boy and his father were walking along a road when they came across a large stone. The boy said to his father, Do you think I'm strong enough to move this rock? His father answered, If you use all of your strength, I'm sure you can do it. The boy began to push the rock, exerting himself as much as he could. He pushed and pushed, but the rock did not move. Discouraged, he said to his father, You were wrong. I can't do it. His father placed his arm around the boy's shoulder and said, No, son, you haven't used all of your strength. You didn't ask me to help. Sometimes we want to do it on our own. We want to know we have power. But for virtually all of the important events in our lives, Power emerges, not from our individual efforts alone, but from being part of something larger. My friend followed this story with a quote about prayer. The implication was obvious. We think we're struggling on our own in this world, but God, our Father, is ready, willing, and able to help us if we will only reach out to him. I bet you're wondering where I'm going to go from here.
Perhaps some of you hearing the mention of Father God thought, oh no. Maybe you hope I'll tell how my UU faith proved superior to that of the religious conservative, assuming that if a person prays to Father God, they must be theologically conservative. As it turns out, my friend is a liberal religious man who embraces several devotional traditions. He sings and prays to Father God, but also Divine Mother, to goddesses, to the great mystery spoken of by indigenous cultures. He embraces the revelations of science with awe and wonder. I received his email as a gift intended to encourage me to reach out, to remember that there's always support and acceptance available. I'm not here to tear down the idea of Father God. I want us to be liberal and generous in our attempts to glean the spirit from a diversity of cultural images and languages. Personally, since 1983, I've referred to God primarily as she or her, H-I-R. I've done this as an attempt to balance the more common presentation of God as the dominant, all-powerful, super male. I wish to affirm that there are many ways to conceive of and address the source or spirit of life. I like this story, my friend sent, because it demonstrates that when we ask for help, we provide opportunities for contribution and connection. I'd like to hear a different version of the story where Dad learns that he can ask for help. I want a story where the person in the historically less powerful position provides the power needed. I want the story to reveal what costs what it costs society when people don't have a voice in the decisions that affect them. I want a story that helps us to understand that our actions impact people, even ones that we never see. A new paradigm of power will require awareness of interdependence. When power over seems like the only choice, or when we believe that the fulcrum of power lies within our bodies, or is solely dependent on our thoughts or on, our, on what we do as individuals, we cut ourselves off from a world of infinite possibilities. More often than I care to remember, I have struggled to move rocks on my own without even considering the possibility of getting help. Now I'm seeking a place between selfish and selfless. I'll call it soulful. I wish to remember to plug into a much greater source of power than my ego. The new paradigm of power won't ask leaders to pretend to have it all together. Until our leaders can acknowledge vulnerability, human need will not be seen as some it will be seen as something to avoid. Women will continue to be to be taught that loving their spouse and children requires them to forget their own needs. Men will be taught that our lives are expendable for king country or corporation. In the new paradigm of power, needs will be valued. There will be a shift in faith, faith from power over 
to power with, from domination to cooperation and collaboration. The emergence of this paradigm is being recognized and supported by visionaries and people of heart around the globe. And yet, the old paradigm of power is more familiar to us. We've heard thousands of stories, songs, TV shows, and movies that taught us to view life as conflict between good guys and bad guys. We learn to root for the good guy and hope that he will prevail against those we believe, we believe, are wrong and bad. We learn to accept and even enjoy when bad people or bad behavior gets punished. Marshall Rosenberg, author of the book Nonviolent Communication, A Language of Life, says that this explains why some people danced in the streets when the trade towers were bombed and why others cheered the U.S. bombing of Iraq. We had this again when Osama bin Laden was killed. We, we will celebrate violence when we believe that punishment of the bad guys is necessary to establish an order where goodness and virtue prevail. Rosenberg suggests that society has prepared us to accept our place within a culture of domination. We've learned to disconnect from the living spirit energy that is inside us and everyone else. We learn instead to focus on what authorities tell us is right or wrong, good and bad. We get oriented to seek extrinsic and external rewards like grades in school or degrees and promotions. An increasing number of people on the planet are calling for a shift from the dynamics of domination. When Obama ran for president, he spoke repeatedly of the value of empathy Karen Armstrong, a scholar of Islam, created the Charter for Compassion. Cities around the globe have signed the Charter and sought to become compassionate cities. This works similarly to the way we become welcoming congregations. Marsha Rosenberg's nonviolent communication suggests a different way to educate or influence people than what most of us were given. Instead of diagnosing good and bad, right and wrong, instead of rewarding and punishing, we can seek to pay attention to what people need. We can tune into the spirit and energy of life, listening to emotions as a clue that something inside us seeks fulfillment of our needs. When we have faith in nonviolence or love, we seek a quality of connection between people. When we see the beauty of a person, we're not willing to get our needs met at their expense. Something inside us naturally longs for fulfilling, for fulfillment of our brothers and sisters. It's only when we've been terrorized and estranged from others, from God, from life, from ourself, that we lose touch with this longing. The new paradigm of power encourages us to seek a win-win scenario. Instead of trying to get our way, we seek a partnership that strives to make life better for everyone. 
our Unitarian Universalist principle, valuing the inherent worth and dignity of every person, leads us to seek collaboration and cooperation. Power with fits our universalist tradition, its rejection of hell, knowledge that virtue is its own reward, and faith that integrity will lead, and only integrity, will lead to lasting peace and happiness. You use are excited to find new ways to be together that support all forms of human empowerment and liberation. We want to nurture souls to help heal the world. That we haven't completed the process is not a surprise. We are only just beginning to be able to articulate our values. We are striving towards something that has never existed. Liberal ministry asks us to have faith in hearts that beckon us toward an unseen world. We are working together, trying to shape a beloved community where, peop- where power is shared and everyone is valued. This work requires a prophetic voice and a deeply developed sense of shared ministry. Our ministry takes courage and imagination. It's no surprise that we discuss and discuss, that we meet and try to work out and rework the language of our liturgy, our bylaws, and most importantly, our mission. We're struggling to create something new and radically different from what we've known. When we don't see progress, it's easy to get cynical and discouraged. And when we're emerged in the struggle, we may not realize that transformation is happening. It's sometimes years later that historians reflect on and name what has happened. CNN recently ran a story about James Zwerg, one of the Freedom Riders. Reading it moved me to tears. James Zwerg was the student nearly beaten to death whose bloodied face was pictured in a photograph broadcast around the globe despite his tremendous contribution to the civil rights movement, Zwerg spent years in confusion, depression, and anguish over the events that made him famous. Another example can be seen in the movie Iron-Jawed Angels, a tribute to the suffragettes. Women such as Alice Paul and Lucy Burns put their lives on the line to win women the right to vote. However, at the time, they had no way of knowing how long their movement would endure backlash. They had no way of knowing they would succeed. Studying progressive movements, I am inspired not only by famous heroes and sheroes, but also by people who never become famous. Heroes like Gandhi and Martin Luther King are not the only ones who sacrificed and whose blood was shed. Movements that affect change succeed in gaining a broad base of support. People give generously of their time and money. They attend meetings. You know what I mean? They do set up and tear down. They take risks and extend themselves. The power that gets unleashed in progressive movements grows from the people. Progressive movements surge forward when they gain a sense of something living and powerful emerging 
in their midst. This energy or power grows and bears fruit only if there is health, support, and respect between leaders and membership. Energy becomes power when an outstanding quality of caring emerges as the prized possession of the community. I chose this topic for today because I'm celebrating this congregation's decision to ordain as its minister, Barbara Jerome. Barbara has been part of the ministry of this congregation for many years. She has grown in stature through her music, her participation in social justice, and all and other of the church's ministries. She has served as your chaplain. I celebrate your decision to acknowledge and move forward in the ministry that she and you have developed together. I celebrate that you are choosing to acknowledge and discover the value of ordained ministry. For some time, we have been in an era of distrust of authority. Some UU congregations lost touch with the power of priestly, pastoral, and prophetic ministries. Many congregations have lost touch with the reason for our existence. Some of our congregations have become cynical regarding the special and sacred role of ordained ministry. Some went so far as to deny the need for having leaders. Congregations that succeed have in common the opposite tendencies. Breakthrough congregations, ones that are thriving and making a difference, have two things in common. Two things they've figured out. One, being a religious community requires having a ministry. Two, in order for ministry to thrive, the congregation must support leadership, value leadership, and dare I say it, follow leadership. I didn't say obey. I'm not talking about being sheeple. I'm talking about coming together in a unified direction with leadership. Success as a religious organization requires the capacity to trust. It requires empowering people with authority. This is what you are doing tonight. It's part of what it takes for power to emerge and be shared. The emergence of power with will come when there is a shared sense of responsibility for the thriving of the ministry of the congregation. To flourish, you must realize that power is yours together and harness it to fulfill your mission. We create power when we understand the value of covenant, when we choose love and respect as the means and the ends of our ministry. We create power when we work within existing channels, We allow power to emerge when we are honest with each other, when we value accountability. We have power together when we create a culture that invites and encourages people to discover what is in their hearts and move toward realization and fulfillment of deeply held values. We create power when our congregations themselves become sanctuaries, safe places to be authentically human. We grow along spiritual lines and move to heal this world when we acknowledge the power that emerges when we come together in love and cooperation. 
When we have the courage to let go of the illusion that we can build the kingdom of heaven by insisting on getting our way. But instead, choose to enter a covenant, to treat each other with respect, and together to discover what the spirit of love will have us do. Blessings to you on this sacred journey. Amen.